Good morning. If you want to follow along uh, in your bulletin, we have an insert for you. And if you want to look in your Bibles, we're going to read from Matthew 28 this morning. Now, Mike actually used these uh, same scripture passage just a few weeks ago when he, he talked about belonging to the church, and, and I'm going to kind of reuse them, but I'm going to come at it from a different angle. I've got a picture here that, that I want you to see. You'll go to that next slide for me. There we go. This guy looks really happy, doesn't he? This is the principle off of a movie that my kids were watching last a uh, couple weeks ago uh, it's called Captain Underpants. Ask my four-year-old, he'll tell you all about it. Uh, but this was the principle, and you can see the, the, two, the two boys in the little bitty chairs there. You can see him sitting up high above them in the desk. And on the wall, I'm not sure if you can read it from where you are, there's two pictures. And one says discipline, and it's got the gavel. And the other one, if you can't read it, it says authority. Now, as the camera was rotating around the room, it came across the one that said authority, and I said, I've got to use that. What you, you really can't see it too well from here, and I couldn't find a better clip of it than this, but there's a big foot about to stomp on an ant, and the ant's going, ah, and it says authority, and you can just see it on this guy's face. He's the authority in the room, isn't he? And these boys, they're in trouble. They've been called to the principal's office. And you know, pretty much this picture on the wall sums up what this principal believes authority is. I'm bigger than you, and I can squish you anytime I want. So with, with, when I saw this, I said, you know what? This, this really illustrates how a lot of people today feel about authority. This is what is going on in people's minds when they, when they think about people being authority over them. That's what they've experienced are people just like this principle. We're going to go back to our scripture now. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and it says this. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This scripture, I believe that part of this message, or uh, part of this scripture here, is, is telling us that Jesus has commanded his church and his people to have spiritual authority. Now, a lot of us don't like the word authority because we've had people in our lives that have misused their authority. People that say, I'm bigger than you, I'm more powerful than you, you will do what I tell you to do or else. And so when we hear the word spiritual authority, we, we don't like that term too much, maybe because we've not had it exercised in the right way. My dad worked for a boss one time who her favorite phrase was, I hired you, I'll fire you. You ever work for somebody like that? How many of you uh, still live with your parents? There's, uh, most of the smaller kids are going out. We have kids here who still live with their parents, and they have to live under their parents' authority. I'm a student. I have teachers. I have administrators who are in authority over me. I have a, a day job, and, and, and I have a boss who has the power to fire me if I don't respect his authority. I'm under authority of Mike. He's, he, he's my, uh, uh, my advisor for my, my internship, and if I don't do a good job, Mike can't, you know, take my paycheck away because I don't get one from him, but he can write a bad review about me. So 
I've had to learn what it's like to be under authority, but what I'm talking about here doesn't have to, to do necessarily with those things. It's a little bit bigger picture about what authority really is. What is spiritual authority for us? As I was thinking about it, uh, thinking about this verse, I was actually on my way to West Virginia, and I was driving along, and a lot of times God speaks to me when I'm by myself, and, and I ride a motorcycle, so uh, many times that's the best place to think. I was in the car this time by myself and in the car for several hours, and this, this sermon just kind of started forming in my mind as I was driving, and I wasn't really sure if I'd use it or where I'd use it, and then Mike said, hey, I need you to preach for me one day. And, and I said, okay, and, and I was still thinking, what am I going to do? Then Lee told me that he was actually speaking to the youth for the month of January about authority. And that's when I knew, okay, that, that, that's the message for this morning. So I asked the question, first of all, what is spiritual authority? Derek has a definition there, and I, I, I actually have this later on too. But it says, the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. That's the authority out of the New World Dictionary, uh, the definition of authority out of the New World Dictionary. But for us, spiritual authority looks a little bit different. There was a story that's written in the U.S. Naval Institute proceedings, and it's told of a battleship that was coming into port on a foggy night. Now, this was back before the days of radar and radio communication and all, back when they still had the signalmen that used lights to communicate. So as the battleship is coming in the port, he sees a light ahead, and he says to the signalman, there's a vessel approaching us, and it looks like they're on a collision course for us. You need to signal them and tell them to divert course 20 degrees. The signalman came back and said, um, sir, captain, the, 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 the other ship, they said, we need to divert course by 20 degrees. Well, this didn't sit well with the captain. He wasn't used to taking orders from other people. He said, you tell them, I'm a captain, you divert course by 20 degrees. The response came back, I'm a seaman second class, you divert course by, sec, uh, by 20 degrees. Well, that really ruffled the captain's feathers. He is irate. I can see him just throwing his cap on the ground and stomping around. Oh, what I, you tell him this, I'm a battleship, you divert course by 20 degrees. The response came back simply, I'm a lighthouse. Okay, you got that one. Good. <laughs> but I was thinking about spiritual authority. So many times we wonder, is that what spiritual authority is about? I'm a captain, you'll do what I say. I'm a battleship, I can blow you out of the water. Is that how Jesus and God got along with one another? When you read the scriptures, is that why Jesus did the will of God? Because God was bigger and more powerful, because God had a title that Jesus didn't have. We call him God the Father and Jesus the Son, right? So is that why Jesus submitted to the will of the Father? I don't believe that it is. You see, Jesus was equal with the Father. Many times we shy away from anyone claiming to have authority over us because it makes us feel like we're inferior to them. I'm not as good as them and I just have to do what they say. Or else they try to tell us that their authority is because they're better than us. That's not the way that Jesus and God relate to one another. 
When we examine the relationship that Jesus Christ had to God the Father, we see that they were equal. In, first, uh, in John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God. And John says this, And the Word was God. We believe that Jesus Christ, the Son, and God the Father are absolutely equal. And John wrote about that. Jesus said of himself, he said, I and the Father are one. It's a very important thing. And in Philippians, Paul writes that Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, in other translations it says, being in equality with God, did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped or something to use to his own advantage. Jesus Christ was equal to God, and yet he was willing to submit. He was willing to do the will of the Father. He submitted to the Father then because it was right. On your paper, the first thing you have to fill out there is how I define spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is submission to what is right, not who is right. Jesus submitted to the Father because the Father's will was right. Jesus submits to the Father because the Father's way is right. It's not about who's greater and who's lesser. It's about what is right. The Father is always righteous, and that's why Jesus willingly submitted to him. We see Jesus in the garden as he prayed. He said, Father, if there's any other way that this can happen, let this cup pass from me. But then he said those very important words, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Jesus submitted to the Father, even when it didn't feel good, even when it was very difficult that, uh, what he was being asked to do, Jesus was absolutely willing to be obedient to the heavenly Father because it was right. It was never because he was lower than the Father in nature or in power. And his submission never messed up their, their equality. They were always equal to one another. And so for us, submission to appropriate spiritual authority never creates and never exists because of inequality. It's not like that in the world. Out, outside of the, the, in the world, there's a lot of places where we don't have the same rights as other people. We don't have the same power as other people. In the church, God calls us to submit to one another in spiritual authority because it's about what is right, not who is right. The New Oxford uh, Dictionary that we read the definition from earlier said that authority is the right to give orders, make decision, and enforce obedience. Give orders, enforce decision, uh, make decisions, and enforce obedience. What do we call people who are unwilling to submit to the authority of government? What do we call those people? We call them anarchists, right? They don't want anybody to have any kind of control over them. So as I was thinking about this, what I realized is when we are unwilling to submit to spiritual authority, that makes us spiritual anarchists. We want to be in control of ourselves. We don't want anyone to have the right to question or, or examine what we do. That makes us spiritual anarchists. 
And that's not who Christ called us to be. Because there in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, one of the things he said was, I want you to teach people to obey my commands. He gave us a standard to live up to. So I asked this question, are you willing to submit to what is right? When it's not about being, somebody being better than you or you not being as good as them, but when it's about what's right, are you willing to listen? Christ calls us to do that. As members of the body of Christ, we have to choose to accept and respond to spiritual authority in the same way that Christ did. He modeled it for us. The second thing that we need to know about spiritual authority is that it's for our benefit. How many of you have ever had to have a performance review at work? These are a lot of fun, aren't they? I remember I worked at a hospital uh, for several years, and, and every year about October, it was time for uh, employee evaluations. And oh, man, man, everybody just got really nervous about that time. And, and, and we had these evaluations that we had to fill out about ourselves, and we had goals that we were supposed to meet throughout the year, and we would get called into the boss's office. It's time for your evaluation, Richard. I, I need to talk to you for a little bit. You ever have one of those kind of meetings? And somebody basically gets to sit there for half an hour and tell you everything you've done wrong for the past year. And then at the end of it, they go, now, where, what are some things that you think you can improve on this year? Which is their way of asking you, what did you do wrong that we don't know about yet? Doesn't that feel great when you have those kind of evaluations? Well, what about if Pastor Mike called you up? Hey, um, li listen, I need you to check your schedule next week, and I need you to block out about an hour and a half and come, come up here to the church and meet with me. It's time for your annual membership evaluation. And Pastor Mike sits you down in his office, and, and he pulls out some documents, and he starts going over this list. And he's going to review everything you've done in the last year and see if uh, you're still meeting all the requirements and objectives that he uh, uh, feels like members of the church should meet. How would you feel if he did that kind of evaluation? Make you feel kind of nervous, wouldn't it? Would you answer truthfully when he said, what do you need to improve in your life? How are you really doing? When we're submitted to one another in spiritual authority, when someone asks those kind of questions, it's time for us to be honest. It's time for us to listen to what they have to say and respond. Wouldn't feel all that great if he told you you weren't doing well enough and we were going to have to let you go. Nobody wants to hear that. But sometimes we do need people in our lives who can do a little bit of a performance review. Because Jesus told his disciples, I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He set a standard that we are to live up to. He wanted his disciples to teach others to be obedient. And that's what we're here to do. Jesus' authority is the basis of his command, and it becomes the basis of our spiritual authority with one another. His commands are right, and they are the measure to which we hold one another accountable. Jesus didn't commission us to make disciples who just know his commands. 
Jesus also didn't teach us to commission disciples who just value his commands. He taught us or commissioned us to make disciples who obey his commands. So yes, we do need to know them. Yes, we do need to hold them in high esteem, but we have to obey them for us to be obedient to Christ's commission. So spiritual authority then exists for our benefit so that we will be in obedience to what Christ has called us to do. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. The writer here says something that we don't like to do, we don't like to talk about and think about. He said, you've got to submit to your leaders, your spiritual leaders. And he says, because if you don't, it will be unprofitable for them. Is that what he said? He said, if you don't submit to your spiritual leaders, it will be unprofitable for you. So when we submit to spiritual authority, it is profitable for us. It's the right thing to do, and it's rewarding. It's good. It's profitable for us to do it. The truth is that when we're obedient to spiritual authority, it actually blesses the whole body of the church, and it builds up the body. So what then does it look like to exercise spiritual authority? Remember, spiritual authority is about what is right, not who is right, and spiritual authority is for our benefit. The aim of spiritual authority is obedience, not to the individual, but to what is right, to to what Christ has commanded. So the first thing about spiritual authority is that it involves accountability. That's that performance review that I talked about. Is there anybody in your life that ask you the hard questions? Is there somebody who comes alongside you and asks you, how are things going in your life? Is there somebody who's concerned about your spiritual development? You need to be in accountability with someone. This is where we have to allow someone else to ask us the hard questions, and then we respond appropriately. The next part of spiritual authority is the confession of sin. Now, I know that in the Catholic Church, maybe you've seen this on TV and in movies and stuff, they have the confessional where the, the, the priest sits on one side and you sit on the other and, and, and you say, uh, you know, forgive me for I've sinned, and then you have to go through this, this list of all the things you've done wrong. As a pastor, you know how, many, how often I have people come sit in my office and say, let me tell you everything I've done wrong this week, Brother Richard. No. But you know, there are times when we need to sit down with one another. The scripture actually says that we need to confess our sins one to another. Therefore, confess your sins, James 5, 16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What do we need to be healed from? Our brokenness and our sinfulness. The scripture says, confess your sins one to another. Now, I don't mean that you have to get up on Sunday morning and grab the microphone out of somebody's hand and blurt out everything you did wrong. But you need to have someone, a spiritual authority within the church that you are comfortable enough to talk about what's really going on in your life. It doesn't need to stay hidden. 
The community of the church is the place where we are called to be honest about the things that are going on with us. We don't have the power to forgive one another, but we have the power to heal one another through Jesus Christ. He forgives, but then he calls us to come alongside one another and help lead you to um, obedience in Christ. Finally, when we do make mistakes, spiritual authority is exercised in restoration to fellowship for the sake of righteousness. In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one of you looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This is the goal of spiritual authority. Bearing one another's burdens, restoring one another to fellowship through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his church. Spiritual authority is not about who's right, but what's right. And spiritual authority is for our benefit. But finally, there's this one particular thing about spiritual authority we need to remember. Spiritual authority can only be given. It cannot be demanded or taken. I was a first responder in the fire department. And as I was taking my, my medical training, I remember the paramedic that was teaching our class talking about informed consent. And she said, now this is very important. When you go to a patient, you're going to come walking into a situation and the person who needs help isn't always the person who called 911. So when you get there, before you ever touch them, you have to ask a very important question. Can I help you? Is it okay if I help you? Now, this, this doesn't seem very smart. If I walk into a room and there's somebody lying on the floor bleeding to death or choking to death or whatever it is that's going on, having a heart attack, and I'm, I, you know, I'm with the fire department, I have to get their permission to help them? Yeah. Well, what happens if we don't ask for permission and they don't want us to do it? Well, you can be charged with assault. I can honestly say that in my years in the fire department, I never had to stand over someone and watch them die because they wouldn't accept our help. Everybody said, yes, please help me. Sometimes they were a little bit reluctant at first because somebody else had called for the ambulance. But they would, they would usually say, you know what? I realize I, I'm in pretty bad shape. I do need some help. Spiritual authority is the same way. Spiritual authority is something that we cannot demand people submit to. You have to do it willingly. How would you feel if you were watching a relative or a friend refuse life-saving care? Wouldn't you be shouting to them from the, the, the other side of the room, please, would you just listen to them? Would you let them help you? Have you ever seen somebody that you care about suffer spiritually, live in deep darkness, knowing that the help they needed was available, and you just wanted to say, would you please just listen to them? Have you ever needed to listen for yourself? I know I have. I've had to kind of wake up and realize, wait a minute, I'm the one that needs help. Spiritual authority is the help we need to stay spiritually healthy, but we can't force it on one another. 
I remember hearing stories from generations before me about how much the pastor used to be in control of things at churches, that if the pastor told you you were singing a special music on Sunday morning, you showed up and you sang the special music because he told you to. And pastors used to hold a lot of control over people's lives. And, and I've spent many years as a pastor myself before coming back to school here at SWU, and it just wasn't that way for me. I'd come to church and I'd ask people to do things and, and I just about had to get down on my knees and beg them to do things. We don't like for people to always control us. We don't like to submit to authority. And, and as a pastor, you can't force people to do things. They're volunteers. Sometimes even staff members, you have to kind of prod them a bit. But listen. Spiritual authority is something that you have to choose to accept. I don't think that pastors should control every aspect of your lives. I don't think that they should be nosy in your lives. But we need to listen to our pastors. We need to respond to Pastor Mike. When he stands up here and he tells us what is right, we don't listen to it and go, oh, that doesn't feel all that great. I don't think I'll listen to him this week. That's not spiritual authority. Spiritual authority says if Pastor Mike is preaching what is right, if he's reading the word of God to us and explaining and rightly dividing it as it's called in the scriptures, then we listen to him. Not because it's Pastor Mike saying it, but because it's right, because it's the word of God. You have to choose to listen. He's the EMT. You're the patient. It's his job to help you. So we listen so we have to develop spiritual authority. We have to learn to submit to spiritual authority for it to be for our benefit. I've heard people say, well, you know what? I pay the pastor's salary because I tithe. I don't know about you, but I've never given enough in a year to fully fund the pastor's salary out of what I gave. So unless that's what you're doing, you're not really telling the truth if that's what you're saying. It's not your money anyways. We understand that to be God's money, that when we put it in that plate, that's an offering to him. So you can't use that excuse that he has to listen to you. But when he's right, we listen to him because he's right. The scriptures, you know, there we read from Hebrews, it said, obey your leaders. I could spend hours and hours, and I won't do it for the sake of time, going through all the scriptures that tell the leaders how high of a standard they're called to. If he's living up to that standard, then we listen to him and we respond appropriately. So when my, Pastor Mike speaks the truth, but it doesn't make you feel good or you just don't like it because it steps on your toes, you still listen. Secondly, I think you need to be willing to be held accountable. And your pastor is one of the first places to start with that. I don't mean that you have to give him the password to your cell phone and fork it over for a few days and let him look through it. But if he asks you hard questions, you respond. You tell him the truth. That's what he's here for. I know Mike. Mike is a person who cares deeply about seeing broken people restored to spiritual health and physical health. He is great at helping people be restored. So be willing to be held accountable by him. So we need to be uh, developing authority with our pastor. Secondly, with our greater church family. 
I told you I, I, this sermon kind of came to me as I was driving to West Virginia. And as I was thinking about this, what came to my mind was Moses back in the, the Old Testament with the people of Israel as they were in the desert. Everybody was coming to him and it said he'd just sit there all day long helping them with their problems, dealing with their problems. And his father-in-law came along and said, Moses, this is wearing you out and you're not getting anything done. You spend all day long dealing with everybody's problems. You, you don't have time to do anything else. If every one of us scheduled about an hour to an hour and a half a week with Mike, Mike, how much would you get done? Not very much. Well, what was the solution for Moses? Jethro said, I'll tell you what, you go find some other faithful people who can help the people with their problems, and when these faithful leaders can't deal with it, then they'll kick it on up the line to you. And that made all the difference. And I believe that that's a lesson for us in the church today that God has put teachers, God has put church leaders into your life so that they can help you. And there might be things that are very difficult that they, they need to call Pastor Mike for. I know when I've been sitting in the emergency room with family members, he's shown up. That's what he does. He's great at that. But there's other things. Youth, you have a great resource in Lee and Amy. You pick up the phone and call them. You text them, Facebook them, whichever way you get a hold of them. We've got uh, Aaron for the children. But then we've got beyond just the paid staff, we have lots of really great leaders in this church that if you will take the time to form a personal relationship with them, they'd be glad to be a part of your life, to hold you accountable, to be that spiritual authority. Remember, somebody who is more concerned about what is right than who is right. You know, when we get up in front of the church and we're baptized, we're going to be doing that on February 11th. Mike's got several people that are going to be baptized. Super excited to see how many people are coming to know the Lord in this church. When we do that in front of our church, what are we saying? We're making a public statement. I have died to sin and I am made alive in Christ. But it's not just the person being baptized who's making a statement. The church sitting there watching is making a statement to them. We will hold you to that and we will help you in it. That's spiritual authority right there. When you take communion, we don't do communion in private. If somebody ever asked me, I want to do communion, but I don't want anybody else to see me do it. I'd say, you don't know what communion's about then. When we take communion, we're declaring to the church, I belong to the covenant of Jesus Christ. I am covered by his blood and his body has been broken on my behalf. I am part of this community. And we declare that as we take communion together. In church, we hold one another accountable. That's who we are. When we get married, what do we do? Do you remember when you got married? Do you remember what the preacher said? I remember when I got married, I think I got a picture. Ah, 12 years ago today, had to sneak that one in there. Now I'll hear about that for the next 12 years. All right, you can turn that off. But I remember the preacher standing up there asking us to make these commitments to one another. I remember saying, I do, but we didn't do it in private. I was the pastor of the church. It would have looked really bad if we would have eloped. But we did it in front of our church. 
We did it in front of our family and our friends so that they would hold us accountable to that commitment. Yes, it was personal between myself and my wife. And that commitment has been the foundation of our relationship for 12 years, but we didn't make that commitment in private. So we have spiritual authority with our pastor, with our church family, but we also have spiritual authority in our home. Taking that commitment that we made to to uphold one another, we we have to apply that in our household. You know, one of the Ten Commandments says that we should honor our father and our mother. In our homes, our children need for us to be their spiritual authorities. We need to be right on behalf of our children. We need to be there for them. Jesus said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the standard that he called us to. And who knows whether or not we're doing that more than our family. Right? Who sees the worst of us? Who sees us when we're tired, when we're sick, when we're stressed, when we're worried, when we're broken? And who bears the brunt of it when we're not living up to that standard? It's our families. We need to establish spiritual authority in our homes. Husbands and wives, you should love one another enough in Christ to be able to look at one another and say, how are you doing? And get an honest answer. We need to have godly authority in our homes. Spiritual authority. Going back to that picture that we saw at the beginning of the the shoe about to step on the ant. That's not what it's about. Maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you've had people who just misused their positions in the past. My prayer is that you can put that away. That you can understand what God really wants for you to do. He said, teach my disciples to obey my commands. That's what we want to help you do. And that's what we want you to do for others as well. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and, and we realize that you have called us to obedience. And that's a very important thing. Father, as we seek to live up to that command, we pray that you would put people in our lives that we can trust. Father, that we can listen to, that we can submit to their spiritual authority and know that it's right. Thank you for giving us your word to guide us and thank you for using your spirit to empower people to come alongside us in this journey of faith. We pray all this in your name, amen.